I, I have said this before, and I want to do so again, that one of the great privileges that I have as a pastor is to proclaim God's Word. It really is a blessing to do that. I love to preach God's Word. And so thank you for, thank you for um, uh, uh, coming together and receiving God's Word. This morning, I want to start a new series, and it's going to be for about six weeks, uh, and, it's, and it's called Why We? Why We? Now, that may be a little bit bothersome at first because we think, well, why we? Why is the personal pronoun about us? It should be about God. But when we talk about what God is doing, why do we do the things that we do? And, and I think that's very important that we, in a time of transition, that we remember what we're all about. And so for the next number of weeks, I'm going to be sharing from God's Word, and it always has to be centered upon God's Word. I'm going to be sharing why we do a number of things, why we believe and, and why we connect to Him, why we, why we communicate with Him. We're going to be looking at why we belong and why we serve and why we give and why we go. We're going to be sharing some of these different things. Why do we do these things? And we're going to be going, of course, directly back into God's Word because if it isn't from God's Word, then we have nothing else to offer. Well, this morning, I want to talk about why we believe. This morning, I want to talk about why we believe. How is it that a person can go from no belief in Jesus Christ to the point where they will actually give their life to Him? How does that happen? Every one of us here this morning that is a follower of Jesus Christ at some point in your past, whether it was as a child or a teen or as an adult, and, I've, and I know that it's across that entire spectrum, how is it that a person can come at some point to the Lord and within a matter of weeks or even months, people will be willing to give their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ? I remember reading a story a few years ago of a young woman who... who um, as, a, as a teenager, had, had grown up in a Christian home, but had then kind of wandered for a time. And then something had happened in, in her youth group, uh, something had stirred her, it was the Holy Spirit that stirred her, and she came to the point where she made a really solid commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And she, she said in her diary that, 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 that I, I would be willing to give my life, and then within just a few months of that, there was a gun held to her head, and she was given the opportunity to either recant to say that she did not know Jesus or did not follow Jesus or whether she was a follower of Jesus Christ. She stood up for Jesus Christ knowing that the possibility was would, that she would die. She said, yes, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And the trigger was pulled and her life was ended. Now, that's a very tragic thing. And yet, how is it that a person can go from the point of no faith in Jesus Christ, no belief in Jesus Christ, to following him even to the point of death. How does that happen? How is it that we can believe to that point? John chapter 9 contains the story of a man who went from knowing nothing about Christ to believing in Christ. And it's, it's, it's a fascinating study to see the changes that happened in a very short time. So I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to the, the Gospel of John chapter 9. John chapter 9. Now, while you're turning there, let me tell you that while a lot of the stories or a lot of the details of his story are given, his name is never given. His name's not recorded. Have you ever wondered that? Why is it that his name is not recorded? Or some of these other great stories from the, from the Word of God. How is it that, how is it that, that that person's name is not recorded? But, but glory to God, the name is recorded in heaven. 
But this man's name is not recorded, even though some of the details of his story, many of the details of his story are recorded. Verse 1 of John chapter 9, beginning with verse 1, it reads this way. As Jesus went along, he saw a man who was blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming, Jesus said, night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word Siloam means sent. So the man went and washed, and he came home seen. Let me just pause there for a few moments. I'm going to read a lot of this text, but just pause there for a moment. Here's this man. The Bible says he was blind. In fact, he wasn't just blind. He was born blind. His blindness was not a result of an injury or some disease. He had never seen in his life. He did not know what anything looked like. He had no memory of that. Because he was blind and the culture of the time and the, the limited opportunity at the time, he was forced into beggaring. That's what he did. To begging, rather. He was a beggar. He, 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 that, that's how he survived. That's how he lived as a, as a beggar. His blindness had made him a beggar. And the disciples... The disciples who had probably seen him before wondered, and they asked Jesus, why was this man blind? Again, they had probably seen him before. They were on their way out of the temple. He'd probably been there for a long time. He was born blind. And and they see him, and maybe they've wondered it before, and perhaps others had wondered it before. How is it that this man is blind? You see, the thinking of the time was that if someone was blind, it was because of somebody's sin. It was a consequence of some moral decision. So they reasoned, as most people did, and you'll see this again and again, actually throughout this text, where, where they reasoned that, that apparently there was something that he had done. And you're kind of thinking, well, really? Is that what you thought? What did he do? Say a bad word inside of the womb? How is that even possible? What, did he, what could a, a little baby inside the womb possibly do that would result in, in some disease placed upon him or, or her if, if it were a woman? How is that possible? Or the, the, then they reasoned that it was perhaps the parents. This was the reasoning at the time. Now let me be very clear on something. Our choices do have consequences. We can make choices that will result in bad things happening to us. But Jesus was very quick to correct this. Jesus said, actually, it's neither. Jesus said, it's so that God could be glorified in this man's life and through his healing. That's interesting, isn't it? Jesus makes this statement. I want you to notice here that Jesus was much more concerned about what God was going to do with him than what had, been happened, than what had happened to him in the past. Let me say that again. Jesus was much more concerned about what he was going to do in him and through him than what had happened to him in his past. The fact that he was born blind to Jesus really wasn't so important as what he was going to do through him. If I can just pause here for a moment, 
I think a lot of times as, as people, we, we, we go through things and we, we experience things that hurt us or we go through something that someone else says something or does something that injures us. There's not a person here this morning that has gone through life without some kind of a hurt. Somebody wounded you. Somebody said something to you that hurt you. Maybe you grew up in a home where, where wounds were just a part of your daily life. Maybe there was some kind of a little quirkiness that you had or something about your physical body or there's something about your speech or something about where you're from that people kind of tore into and made fun of. And, and, and sometimes we can look at the things that were done to us or things that were done sometimes by us. And we, we, we look back and we go, man, I'm, I'm just terribly wounded. We begin to feel like a victim. The problem with being a victim is that we're so focused on something that happened a long time ago that we fail to understand what Jesus can do today. See, that's the big problem with being a victim. I'm not minimizing the fact that some of you have gone through some very, very difficult things and that some of you have been injured. But I'm telling you that Jesus is more concerned about what He wants to do in you and through you from this day forward than what happened in you yesterday or before. And as long as we're focused and fixated upon what happened to us a long time ago, then we can never get to the place where God says, I want to do something amazing through you today so that people will look at your life and they will give glory to God. That's really what it's all about. So this is what's happening. The the disciples, they're looking at the past and they're saying, what did this guy do? Or what did his parents do that this man is blind? And Jesus said, actually, he's blind so that in the moments ahead, because we know what's going to happen, in the moments ahead, so that people will look around and say, isn't God good? Look what God has done. Jesus was looking forward. Well, the Bible says, and we just read it here, that Jesus healed this man in a unique way. I mean, this is what it says. He, he, he's standing there, the blind man is in front of him, and, and he, he gets down on the, he spits in the ground. You know I, I've spit in my life, you have as well, but I don't think I've ever done that while I'm conversing with someone. Excuse me, you know, I'm spit. I'm not trying to make light of what Jesus did, but it's kind of funny and it's kind of, kind of odd. By the way, this wasn't a pattern. You know, every time someone was blind, he didn't, he, didn't, he didn't spit in the ground, but he did on this occasion. He spits on the ground, he reaches down, and he picks up where that spit hit, and he, and he pulls it up. Now it's mud. He makes this mud in his hand. He takes it and he applies it to the man's eyes. Good thing he was blind because if he would have saw that coming, he probably would have jumped away. He puts this on the man's eyes, and then he tells him, now go and wash at a specific place, the pool of Siloam. So the man goes, and he, uh, he washes in the pool of Siloam, and we're not given the details. We don't know exactly how it happened. It's not recorded. It simply says that he went and he washed, and he could see. He returned home seeing. So we don't know exactly what that scene was like, but I imagine it was something like this. He's making his way through the crowd. He's blind, so he knows what that's like. He knows what it's like to get through a crowd of people without seeing them. But now he's maybe feeling a little bit funny because he's got this mud in his eye, and people are looking at him. People have looked at him before, but they've become accustomed to him, but they've never seen him with mud on his face like this. And he makes his way through the crowd, and he goes to this place, and maybe he needs some direction. 
exactly where is the pool, and somebody takes him to it, and he gets down. I don't know if he jumps in, I don't know if he crawls in, I don't know if he bends over. He brings, cups it up to his face, but he washes his eyes, and as he washed away the mud, and by the way, there was nothing in the mud, but there was something in Jesus. I mentioned earlier, it'd be kind of odd to have somebody spit in your eye, but, and, and, I, and I'm, I don't mean this in any humorous way. But if you're going to have spit in your eye, I'll take Jesus's. He put it in his eye. And, and this coming from the, the literal mouth of God, the mouth of Jesus, there's something powerful in Jesus's hands. There's something powerful in, in Jesus's words. And there's something powerful. And he, he washes his eyes and suddenly he can see. He's never seen before, but he can see now. The Bible says he returned home seeing. Goes, goes back to his home. And again, it doesn't record those details, but I, I can imagine it must have been a pretty, pretty amazing homecoming, wouldn't you think? He shows up at the house and he sees people that he's never seen before. He recognizes their voices, so he puts the voice with a face, but suddenly he sees his father, his mother, maybe some siblings, some family members, other family members for the first time, and he can see. And of course, they're excited. What a homecoming. Verse 8 reads this way, his neighbors and those who formerly had seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him, but he himself insisted, I am the man. I'm the guy. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. Please notice here that some of the people who knew him recognized the change, right? They'd seen him all of his life. They, they knew what he looked like. He'd never looked at them before. Now he was looking at them, but they recognized him. The neighbors, and it says neighbors and others, some recognized the change, but others said it couldn't be him, that it had to be someone else. Don't miss that point. Some recognized it's him, but now he's different. There's a change that has happened. Now he can see. But other people said, no, it absolutely can't be him because people who are blind from birth can't suddenly see. Now that still happens. When someone begins to believe in Jesus Christ and has been changed by Christ, some people recognize and acknowledge those changes. When you came to the Lord Jesus Christ, some of the people, perhaps some in your family or somewhere you work or the people that live around you, the people that you associated with before, they noticed a change. didn't mean that they always liked it, but they noticed that there was a change about you. And yet there are others, there are others who say that a person can never change. I'm going to assume here that some who, when you came to the Lord Jesus Christ, you gave your life to Him, the Holy Spirit began to do that wonderful work inside of you, that wonderful change inside of you. But there are probably some people that looked at you and said, He'll never change, she'll never change. There are probably some people that said, they are who they are. In fact, even though some of you have been serving Jesus Christ for some years, there are probably still some people you know that do not believe that a real deep change happened in your life. 
they'll say something like, they got religion, or, well, they kind of went off the deep end, or they, got, they went to that really kind of weird church, or, or something happened, and, and, and they're going to they're gonna dismiss it that way. They don't believe yet that there's a deep change. But let me tell you something, Jesus Christ can fundamentally, deeply, profoundly change your life. Some of you know it, but some people will never acknowledge that. It still happens. Please also notice here that in verse 11, the healed man said, the man they call Jesus. Now that's significant. He believed that God had used this man to heal him, but to him, Jesus was still a man. He was a compassionate man. He, he, he took the time for him, but he still, at this point, in verse 11, he calls him a man. Verse 13, they brought to, to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened that man's eyes was a Sabbath. Now that's new information. We'll come back to that. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed it, and now I see. This is the second time he's given that, that explanation. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So the people were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. Now, let me explain here about the Pharisees. The Pharisees were religious scholars. They were people who were very knowledgeable about the Mosaic Law. They were people who very closely followed the religious rules of the day. But you also need to know this. Many of the religious rules of the day were man-made rules. That's very important. They were really, the Pharisees were really into following all of these rules about what they thought proper following of God meant. But a lot of those rules had been man-made over the course of the centuries between Moses' time and this time. So when the Pharisees learned that the man had been healed on a Sabbath, they became angry. Now, that's not to minimize the Sabbath. It was a, if anything, it was the first command that God really put down in, in creation week. At the very end of it, God, as an example to us, said on the seventh day, he re it says on the seventh day he rested, thereby essentially introducing the Sabbath principle. But here, these people have taken it to the extreme. So even though a man who has never seen before can suddenly see and distinguish things and, and talk with people face to face, because it happened on the Sabbath, they went all bent out of shape. Fascinating. This too can still happen. This too can still happen. There are still people today who say, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you must also do it this way. Or if you're going to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you must come to Him this way. A number of years ago, I was just new in the ministry. I was living in Ohio, and I was talking with a gentleman, and he had come to Christ some years before in a, uh, in a crusade in, in a, a, a place where they had put a tent out and they had spread on the floor to keep the mud down. They had spread sawdust, about four or five inches deep of sawdust. 
You say, well, what's important about that? I'm talking with this man, and, and he said, yeah. He said, he said, I came to Jesus on the sawdust trail, and I'd never heard that before. I said, explain to me. He says, well, he told me about the tent and the sawdust and all of that. And then he said this. He said, and I really wonder if you can become a follower of Jesus Christ unless it happens in sawdust. And I, I laughed. I said, yeah, right. And he goes, I'm serious. <laughs> I said, excuse me? He said, that's right. He said it was so powerful and it was so profound in my life that I really wonder. I think that if you're going to come to Jesus Christ, you have to, you have to, it has to happen in a crusade like that and it has to be on sawdust. I said, dude, you're crazy. I don't think I said it quite like that. I would say it now, but I was doing the ministry. And I said, uh, brother, I think you're wrong. And I explained it. Now I would say, dude, you're crazy. Well, that's kind of an extreme example. But you know, we do that, don't we? We say, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, it needs to be with these things. If you're, if you're going to really come to Christ, it has to be within these circumstances. I, I remember someone, this is years ago, some of you are going to really appreciate this, some of you are going to be shocked by it, but many years ago, many years ago, um, uh, at least in the assemblies of God, you just didn't go to movie theaters. I mean, that was that was like that was like that was like the waiting room of hell. That's kind of what what was communicated. You just didn't go to movies, and you didn't go to movie theaters. And and this is about 1972 or 73. I was just a little kid, and 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 there was this movie that came out, and it was called Cross and the Switchblade. How many remember that movie? A long time ago. And that came out, and it was going to be shown at, at the Elks Theater in Rapid City. And man, well, I'd never been inside of a place before, and somebody told my dad, he says, don't you go there. He said, he said, he said that's, that's a den of iniquity, and you can't go there. And my dad, God bless him, he said something to the effect of, you know, Jesus can really speak to people there. And I remember going to the movie theater, and I remember thinking, oh, Lord Jesus, don't come back tonight, because we might not make it. And at the, end of the, at the end of the movie, somebody was prepared. It wasn't someone from our church, but somebody was prepared. And they stepped forward in front of the screen, and they, they shared the gospel message. And I remember like five or six people at that showing of that theater came to Jesus Christ. Glory to God! And some people said, well, they're not really saved because it happened in a theater. Well, what kind of a Pharisee are you? See, that's, this kind of thing happens. People, th this guy back then, he says, you know what? It can't be of God because he did it on the Sabbath. It, it, it's evil because it happened on the... Now, let me be very clear. Let me be very clear on something. And that is, obviously, there are biblical absolutes. That's, and, and we don't have the time to go into all of that. So, there are, yes, I understand that there are, there are certain things that, that are absolutely essential in salvation. But sawdust isn't one of them. And, and the place in which it happens isn't necessarily one of them. And, and, and can I even say this? The denomination in which you attend isn't necessarily one of them. I love my denomination. I'm a leader in it. But, but I'll tell you what, we don't have the only answer. Jesus is the answer. It's all about Him. So this happens. But don't be that person. Don't be that person and say, you know, real church, if you're going to have real church, you have to have this. If you're going to have a real experience with God, you have to have this. You start saying it's got to be this music or it's got to be that music or it's got to be this atmosphere or that atmosphere. When we start putting our man-made rules into, into 
what that experience is going to look like, then we're in dangerous territory, and we can become latter-day Pharisees. God help us. God protect me. Notice also the man's belief in Christ was growing. Verse 17 says he, he regarded Jesus as a prophet. Prophets were people through whom God spoke. In this man's mind, this, this man Jesus, in his mind, Jesus has just moved from just another man to now a messenger from God. Something has happened. Something is, his belief is, is taking on a, a little bit of a new form. Before he was just this man called Jesus. Now he's a prophet. Verse 18, they brought, to the, brought in the man's parents and they questioned them. They knew nothing about Jesus, only that their son, who they confirmed was blind from birth, could now see. Verse 24 reads this way. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to... This is the Pharisees talking. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? Now, this guy's been repeating his story a lot of different places. He said, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? How many here this morning will acknowledge, we won't ask you to give, declare what it is, but how many here have a button that can be pushed? Sure. We all have buttons. This guy just pressed the button. He, he asked him. I think he's straightforward. I think he's being honest with me. He said, I've already told you. Do you want to become his disciples too? And boy, he doesn't realize the button that he, he just pushed. And, and by the way, I, I love it because this guy doesn't know much, but he knows that Jesus can heal. Then the Pharisee, verse 28, then the Pharisees hurled insults at him, and they said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now this is, this is great, this is really wonderful. It says, the man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Folks, don't you love how the Lord can use regular people who believe in him to confound the so-called wise people who do not believe in him? I mean, here's this guy who has known about Jesus. He's never even seen Jesus with his eyes yet. He's never seen him with his eyes. He's really not had much of a conversation with him. But all of a sudden, God has been doing such a work in his heart that he's now saying things that are much more wise than these, these very learned Pharisees. And he's acknowledging that this man Jesus was special, that he was sent from God. He said, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He's acknowledging that he's from God. So he's gone from this man named Jesus to he's a messenger from God, and now he is sent from God and empowered by God. Verse 34, to this the Pharisees replied, you were steeped in sin at birth, how dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. What just happened? They just did what the disciples wondered about earlier. They said, you are steeped in sin from birth. Essentially, they're saying, you were either a sinner, you, you, you sinned prior to birth, or your parents sinned. You were conceived in sin. 
And then they threw him out. They got personal. Because their arguments couldn't work, and this is what happens. This is what happens when suddenly your argument doesn't work. You go personal, and then you just get rid of them. Character assassination. Verse 34. You're steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? They threw him out. Listen, when you believe in Jesus Christ and you stand for him, I mean really believe in him. I mean really believe in him. Because if you truly believe in him, there's going to be life change. You're going to do things differently. You're going to speak differently. You're going to act differently. You're going to go to different places. You're going to do different things. And if you are truly a follower of Jesus Christ, some people are going to get hacked off. Some people aren't going to like it. You will be demeaned, you will be ridiculed, you will be insulted, and you will be attacked when you stand for Jesus Christ. When you become a true follower of Jesus Christ, you will be falsely accused, you will be thrown out of some places, and you will be rejected by some people. But don't forget that in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said we are to rejoice over our reward in heaven when we are insulted, persecuted, and lied about for His sake. Now somebody needs to hear that today. Somebody needs to hear that today because somebody has stood up for Jesus Christ, has stood for Christ at some point in the, in the, in the recent past, and you've caught, caught a lot of heat because of it. Somebody here this morning, I'm supposed to say this, somebody here this morning has really been put down, insulted, or lied about when you stepped out in faith. Someone misunderstood it and then took it to an insulting place. Someone has hurt you. Not, not because of something you did, but because of someone you stood with and for. But when that happened, great is your reward in heaven. That's what Jesus said. And then verses 35 and following. Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out. And when he found him, i got to read that again. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And he went and found him. And he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And the man replied, or the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. How many here this morning are really, really thankful that when this whacked out world in some way rejects you unrealized, son of man. It's, it's the designation that he referred to himself more than any other. It doesn't simply mean the son of a man. This is a common misunderstanding. People think when he called himself the son of man that he was emphasizing his humanity. And it does that in part. But it was really the fulfillment of a prophecy, a very well-known prophecy that almost all Jews knew about, from Daniel chapter 7, where it was speaking of the exalted one who would bring about the redemption of mankind. So when Jesus said to the guy, do you believe in the Son of Man? This man knew, the formerly blind man, knew that Jesus was talking about the promised Redeemer. Redeemer or redemption means to buy back or pay the price to release from captivity. This guy from John chapter 9, he, he first believed in Jesus as 
as a compassionate man. Somebody took the time and, and did what he did, and I'm not exactly sure what he did, but he put something on my eyes, and he told me to go wash, and what a nice man, what a compassionate, kind man, what a good man. But then he came to the point where, where he believed in him as a, as a healer because he had been healed at, at the hand of this man. And then he believed that he was a prophet. And, and, and then he was a man sent from God. But when he believed in Jesus as the Redeemer, when he believed, he's one of the first people to do so, when he believed in the man as a Redeemer, the one who would pay the price for the release of sin, he, it says, worshipped him. Now that's powerful. So why do we believe? Why do we believe? It's a lot of centuries later. A long time has passed between that time and this time. But what's the same? Well, why do we worship him? Why do we, why do we believe in him? We believe in him because of his compassion. I love the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's demonstrated time and again in this story. Jesus didn't have to stop that day and, and heal the man. He could have just explained to the disciples, well, it's so that God will be glorified in his life and then just kept on walking. But he didn't. He stopped. Listen, folks. We believe in him because he is a God of infinite compassion. And some of you right now, you're going through some stuff. I want you to know Jesus is aware of what you're going through, and he cares. We, we believe in him because of his power to heal. A lot of us have stories, myself included, of how Jesus Christ in his compassion and in his love and in his power reached down and he touched a body. One of the reasons why I believe and why many of you believe is because He's a healer and he healed you or someone close to you. We believe in him because like a prophet, he brought God's message of salvation. He, Jesus was a prophet and much more. He not only was the messenger, but he was and is the message. So he speaks for God. He is God. We believe in Him because He finds us when other people reject us. Again, some here have been rejected in some way at one time or another. But Jesus, Jesus finds us when others reject us. But ultimately, we believe in Him because He, pray, he paid the price for our sin. He paid the price for our sin. He gave himself for you. He gave his life for you. And that's why we worship him. Not just believe in him, but worship him. How many here this morning, and I need you to help me with this, how many here this morning believe in Jesus because he's your redeemer? Let me see your hands. Hold them up. Hold them up and keep them up. Thank God. Put them, put them down. At some point in your past, you understood and you acknowledged that only Jesus could forgive your sins. And he did. I'm going to close our time in a different way. Often at this time in the service, I will extend an invitation to someone who perhaps does not yet know the Lord Jesus Christ. 
if that is in fact the case with you, then at the close of this service, there's going to be someone right up here who is going to meet with you and pray with you. But I don't want to close it that way. Say, well, Pastor, that's, 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 that's how, how we do it. That's how it's supposed to be done. How will people come to the Lord unless you give the invitation? I go back to verse 1 where it says this, as Jesus went along, he saw a blind man from birth. They were outside the temple. In fact, they had just been kind of forced from the temple a short time before. They were out in in a place where beggars were. A place where people could walk by and you'd never notice them. The reality is that if I gave the invitation this morning and one or two people responded for salvation, and today can be your day, and that's why if that's you and you've never accepted Him, then there's going to be opportunity here this morning. But I also realize this, that if five or ten or even twenty people came to Christ every Sunday here in this place, we would never reach our community. We would never reach our community. It's going to happen. It's going to happen only as followers of Jesus Christ take the message and the compassion and the power and the redeeming message of Jesus Christ to a world outside these walls. It's going to be, you're going to happen upon beggars who are thinking, the only thing that I have to do in life is just get enough food or get enough of something to make it another day. You're going to encounter those people. You're going to encounter people who are spiritual. Not only you're going to, you do every day. Some of you encounter them every day. And they're, it's going to take everything you get to them to, to even come to church. But you're going to take the message to them. So here's what I want to pray at the close of this service. Again, if, if you have not yet received Jesus Christ, then there's going to be someone up here. But more than that, we need to be a church empowered who will take this message far beyond these walls or beyond the walls of any church. And so I'd like you to stand, please. And don't bow your heads, but I want you to look right at me. God has given every one of us a holy commission, a divine commission to take this message to lost people. There there are 50 weeks remaining in this year. There are 50 weeks of opportunity for you to take the gospel to someone whose life is absolutely profoundly lost without that message. So here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to pray with me, not just listen to me, but pray with me. Lord, I want to be that person who takes the message to a lost world. So would you do that with me? Bow your heads. Lord, I thank you for 
the power of your word. I thank you for the message of John chapter 9, why we believe. Why we believe. Why do we believe you? Because you are a God of compassion. Because you are a, a, a God of, uh, who, who speaks, the, who, who speaks the, the, the living message to us. Because you are a God of power who heals us. But more than anything, because you sent your Son who became our Redeemer. And that's why we believe. And that is why we worship. Jesus, there are thousands, multiple thousands outside these walls that you are calling us to take the message to. Forgive us, Lord, for thinking that the only way they can come to you is when the pastor gives the invitation. Forgive us for thinking that the only place in which people can meet you is the close of a church service. Forgive us, Lord, for thinking that it was someone else's responsibility to take this message out. Lord, would you use us? Would you use me to see even one family come to you in the remainder of this year? Lord, may that be our prayer, not just mine, our prayer. Would you pray that with me? Oh God, uh, use me, use me just, just, with, just to reach one family. Just to reach one family, maybe even just one person so that in the next 50 weeks, that person will know you and will believe and will worship. In one day, that man came to you. At the beginning of that day, I don't think he knew anything about you. He referred to you as that man named Jesus. But at the end of that day, he knew you as Savior. He believed in you as the one sent from God to be the redemption for mankind. If you can do that span of one day in one man's life, oh God, what can you do in us and through us by the power of your Holy Spirit in the remainder of this year? I ask your blessing upon my brothers and sisters. I thank you for the fellowship that we share. I thank you for the the, the, the love that we have for each other. I thank you for using us, empowering us. I pray that we would draw closer to you and you promise that you will draw closer to us. But oh God, help us to take this message to a lost world. People we already know. We don't have to go looking for them. We are, we see them all the time. And some of them are so unlikely and we think they're so hard. We think they're unreachable. But oh God, you're going to give us the power to do so. And I thank you for it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you this morning. Go in the power and the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Take as much time as you want. You don't need to hurry away. God bless you this morning.